Would you please be seated and let us take our Bibles, and we will start with a New Testament reading, two verses in Colossians chapter 2, and then continue in our reading through Genesis and the narrative of God's dealings with Abraham. Begin with me in Colossians 2. Let us pray for God's help. Our most gracious God and Father, we are in great need in this hour for your help, for your grace, for your abundant power, so that we who are so weak and earthbound would have ears to hear, that we would have a will that would be glad to do and be students of the eternal things of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we need your help to be instructed, to be persuaded, to be subdued again to the glories of his kingdom. Father, you know how, how weak we are in so many ways and how weak is our flesh in so many ways. It's so weak it feels It feels like power. The flesh is so weighty. Oh, Lord, we call out upon you. We pray that you would attend to us, that you would give to us uh, even better than we have prepared for, even if we have prepared nothing. We ask, Lord, by the merits of Jesus Christ, who has been crucified for this illness and infirmity of ours, who has been raised for this illness and infirmity of ours. We ask by his merits, his mediation, his majesty, that you would be pleased to open your hand to us and grant us to to hear your voice, to believe what we hear, to be reformed by what we hear, to indeed become servants of what we hear, and to even tell other sinners the truth. Oh Lord, help us. Help us step strong upon hearing your word into our office as the children of God. Oh Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you will in no wise cast out the needy who cry to you. And Lord, we thank you for the spirit who brings us to the cry. Help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. We will read verses 1 through 14. We will return following Lord's Day, Lord willing, and have one more message in Genesis 17 on the boy called Laughter, who is the promised son Isaac. 
Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This is God's word. Well, beloved, you probably saw in verse 3, there is a clear description there on how to listen to a sermon. Abram fell on his face. Beloved, this is a testimony to God's grace upon Abram's life that he recognizes that when the word of God is being spoken to him, he is in the presence of the living God. Beloved, let me encourage you to search your own heart and ask yourself what you think is happening when the word of God is being read, either publicly or privately. Do you recognize that you are indeed hearing the voice of God May we all be helped in this. May we all learn from it. But indeed, it is not the sermon today. The sermon today concerns the circumcision of this covenant that God makes with Abraham. And perhaps this might be helpful to start. One great advantage that comes to anyone who takes the time and makes the effort to study God's word is they start to uncover, like an archaeologist the foundation stones of all that God has graciously done and is doing in the world with fallen human people. An archaeologist dresses in special gear 
crouches low to the ground. The hot sun beats down on his neck. He's working. In his hands are a trowel and a brush to clear things away so he can see the foundations of ancient civilizations. The goal of the archaeologist is to discover where the people of the present day have come from, through what many layers of habit and custom and artifact the present day people have passed. Perhaps there is a discovery in the past to aid right living in the present. Well, the student of God's word does very similar work in their Bible. With steady hard labor, we are meant to discover in the scriptures not so much the ways of men with earth, but the ways of God with men. There are even foundations in the scriptures that can be found through a little spade work. Scripture reveals colossal acts of God in the redemption of men that hold and establish a massive structure of divine revelation so that the disciple can better see what God has done and better live constantly in the superstructure of it. The Lord God himself has written out for us the plausibility structure of our faith, for it is the truth of God, and we are meant to inhabit it. Today in Genesis 17, we actually are coming to one of these colossal foundations. The Lord again appears to Abram, but this time he appears in order to create a concrete manifestation of the covenant of grace. In Genesis 17, God is bringing forward that original promise of grace which he had first proclaimed in Genesis 3.15 to Adam and Eve. Do you remember that? God said to Adam and Eve that an offspring shall be born of a woman and he, the offspring, shall crush the serpent, the enemy of God's people, Genesis 3.15. Well, in Genesis 17 now, God brings that promise forward and gives it a tangible, physical expression among his people. And that physical mark, circumcision, will uniquely identify his people as a sign to them, as a people with a sign upon them, until the full physical appearance of the promised offspring comes to earth in the life and death of Jesus Christ. This sign shall stand until the thing signified comes. And so it did. Circumcision is no longer a mandate of the covenant of grace. Why? Because that which it signified has appeared. So the physical sign of circumcision becomes a colossal foundation stone of revelation in the history of all of God's dealings with man. It reveals what God must do for man and do to man in order that man can experience a full redemption in God. And the sign reveals God's promise to do it all. Abram and Sarai, a husband and his wife, are the first to get to see this revelation. 
a man and a woman get to look upon this revelation, this physical sign in the male reproductive organ, they get to look at the sign and see by it the thing signified, a promised son of blood, whose bloody death removes the penalty of sin and the power of sin from their lives, making them fit to dwell with God forever. This is the most basic meaning of circumcision in the scriptures. Now, a great way to see this, that this is the most basic meaning, is with Moses in Exodus 4, which takes place about 400 plus years after Abram. God tells Moses, go to Egypt, tell Pharaoh to release from slavery Israel, my firstborn son. That's what the Lord says to Moses. Exodus 4.22. The whole circumcised nation by that time belongs to Yahweh, the Lord. They are his heirs. They are his son. But what happens? In the very next verses, as Moses is on his way to Egypt with his wife Zipporah and their son, the Lord suddenly comes to put Moses to death. Why? Because Moses had not circumcised his own son. How could Moses be God's messenger demanding that Pharaoh release God's national son when Moses had not given God his own son under the sign of the covenant? Well, Zipporah quickly realizes what is happening, so she takes a flint and circumcises her son's foreskin and applies the blood of it to Moses' feet. And Moses is spared. The Lord doesn't put him to death. Though he deserves to die, Moses lives through the circumcision blood of his son. And it is a forecast, isn't it? What happened there is a forecast of the blood which we put on the doors of the Hebrew homes during the 10th plague of the Exodus. That blood which turns away God's destroying angel at the first Passover, the blood on those lentils represents the blood of all Israel's firstborn sons. So again, God's people are spared by the blood of a son. Now I want to go backwards 400 years. I hope nobody's getting a neck injury. Let's go back to Abram. Abram also will be spared through the circumcision of his son. Not his son Isaac, but his great son, Jesus Christ. When the flesh of Jesus Christ was cut off on the cross, that was the full and final circumcision of Christ. We just heard that in Colossians 2. The true atoning blood had been shed on the cross. The blood of Christ's cross circumcision was applied by the Holy Spirit to Abram and to all who share his faith in God. They are all spared from the destroying angel of God. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I'm going to 
bring that up again later, but just, to, just watch that simple connection. The blessing of Abraham came through the curse that fell on Abram's great son, Jesus. So here's an important lesson we need to grasp thus far about circumcision. It signifies that man in his natural state is wild, rebellious, stubborn, under God's curse. That is one thing the Lord is teaching his church by appointing this particular sign in the days of Abram. And this is why it says in Jeremiah 6.10, Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. A man with uncircumcised ears, drawing on this very particular sign from Genesis 17, hundreds of years later, Jeremiah says, a man with uncircumcised ears is wild and stubborn and rebellious towards the word of God. He, he scorns the word. He cannot listen. It says in Acts 7.51, this is Stephen's great sermon, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart, and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Now Stephen is talking to actually national Israel, isn't he? He's talking to people who are are circumcised in the male reproductive organ, circumcised in their flesh, but not in their heart and not in their ears because the circumcision on the male member was only a sign to a much more needed circumcision that only a faith union with the circumcised Christ could give. So the great lesson that we take so far is that circumcision reminds us that in man's natural state, he is rebellious, unruly, wild, stubborn, opposed to God, even in his sophisticated indifference. Now you might say, do we really need circumcision to teach us that we are spiritually dead? Weren't men and women spiritually dead before Abram came along? Well, yes, they were. But there's a vast difference in saying all men are dead in trespasses and sins. And God is going to, through the shedding of a great son's blood, bring me all the way down and through judicial death by by what my sins deserve. Now, that might have been confusing, so I'm going to clarify it. Of course everyone was dead before Abram, ever since the fall. But what the Lord is doing with the sign of circumcision is he is putting on the body of his ancient church male heads a testimony to all of their posterity, their children, that we are a people who should know that we are under a judicial death and that we deserve to be cut off from God. But he is giving us a a small little cut to signify that he will cut off one of our great sons so that we are not cut off. That's vastly different than even stating the truth about all men being dead. Now I'm saying, I must die. 
and I must die in Christ. Circumcision is a sign of being dead, but it is also a sign of passing through death. So Paul says in Colossians 2.11, what all Christian believers should be able to say to themselves, I have been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, a putting off the body of the flesh, that natural man in his stubborn way. That has been put off from me by the circumcision of Christ, the cross circumcision of the Savior. Now, I want to go back to the original circumcision of Abram again, because there's another important lesson I want to build up to. The act of circumcision, if you haven't figured it out yet, is the taking of a knife to cut off the foreskin of the male reproductive organ. God required this of Abram and all his male offspring and all his male servants. He required it of them up until the time of Christ when the final circumcision happened at the cross. Now by this act of circumcision with Abram, God declared the need for the human race to be cut off in order to live. In order for human life to be fruitful and to multiply under the lasting favor of God, the human race needs to be brought through a judicial death if it will enter life. And the only life that we want to speak of is the divine, the divine life, life with God that is everlasting. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Son of Man, can be a substitute for us in this judicial death. Having no sin of his own, he alone is able to put to death all our sins and to be put to death himself under our sins. So by commanding that a natural part of man be cut off in circumcision, God was promising to provide to man the very death through which man would enter life, a real and lasting life with God. But you cannot enter it unless you are brought into death. You must be circumcised, but not just in the body. You must be circumcised without hands by the cross circumcision of Christ. Now, what does the scripture call this life? That life which follows the passing through the full divine settlement of judicial death, which is signified on the male reproductive organ, that was circumcised. What does scripture call that life? It calls it the new creation. Paul says in Galatians 6.15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now Paul is making several points there in that one sentence. But there is one thing that is quite clear in what he has just said, that circumcision was a covenantal sign of a new creation. Circumcision was a mark in Abram's body that in a faith union with Christ, he, Abram, would pass through death and enter life in a new creation. Abram was already united to Christ by faith. We know this, right? 
Because in Genesis 15, we are told that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now the Lord is putting a formal, physical manifestation of what Abram had already received by faith. He's now putting a formal, physical manifestation upon Abram's flesh of it, that he has the righteousness of the new creation, which means he is in, he is in union with the righteous God through faith in his promised son. Let us understand, when Christ comes, that sign of circumcision is no longer needed because Christ is the head of the new creation. But back in Abram's day, the sign of circumcision told Abram and his believing offspring that the new creation was breaking into the old dead world. Beloved, you need to understand something wonderful about the Old Testament. Right after the fall, when Adam and Eve rebelled and our whole race fell into darkness and we became spiritually dead to God, right after that, the Lord immediately began intruding into time and space with the new creation, a kingdom that Jesus Christ is king of, right away. He intruded by first his word, the son of a woman shall come, this offspring shall crush the serpent. By that word, he set forth a promise, a covenant of grace in a word that he now more and more formalizes to aid the faith of an increasingly large body of the new creation. This is what he's doing with Abram. Now, I want you to see something. And remember, I'm building up to a lesson. I'll give you the lesson even if you don't go with me on the build-up. I want you to see that even right before our eyes in this text today, the Lord is showing us the promise of a new creation in this circumcision covenant. That's what it's about. Number one, let me give you five quick proofs. Number one, the Lord says in verse two to Abram, I will multiply you greatly. Then he says in verse five, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Then he says in verse six, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Beloved, this language should sound more like an echo to us than the first note. It is an echo from the original creation, isn't it? It is an echo of the original creation before man's fall into sin. In Genesis 1.28, the Lord blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, in Genesis 17, the Lord God is saying the same thing again. Now he is saying it after the fall. Now he is saying it on a foundation of promise and grace. The Lord is saying that he will bring his own people through death by a bloody judicial sacrifice with the end in view that they are brought into the life of a new creation that will be multiple and fruitful, a global, international body of Christ that he is beginning right now. 
And he's saying this to another man and another woman. Number two, the Lord says in verse five, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. A new creation calls for a new name. Abram, which meant exalted father, is now to be Abraham, father of many nations. His very name now will carry the fecundity, the multiplicity, the fruitfulness of his loins. His name will carry it because it is by God's grace and power that this new creation will be done through Abram. And not simply a new creation of the flesh, but a new creation of the flesh in union with the divine Son through the Spirit. We are to see that Genesis 1, which appeared to be broken and an absolute failure by the measure of man's merit, Adam and Eve disobeyed, we are to see that Genesis 1 is not scrapped. The Lord is not starting over. The Lord is not throwing the whole earth away and saying, well, let's do something different. He is redeeming what has fallen into corruption. Grace restores nature. It does not replace it. Item three, proofs that we are seeing in the circumcision covenant, the promise of a new creation by grace. In verse seven, the Lord calls it an everlasting covenant. Verse eight, again, an everlasting possession. And it's not the last time he uses the word everlasting here. Who alone possesses the characteristic, the feature, the aspect, the quality of everlastingness? Not fallen mortals. God alone is everlasting to everlasting. And here he is giving to his son, Abram, an everlasting inheritance, an everlasting promise that will never fail. This new creation is the lasting creation that is rooted and sourced in God, who is everlasting. Through faith union with the life of the everlasting man, this new creation shall never fail. Why? Because all recipients of it will have been taken down through the necessary judicial death that sin deserved and brought out on the other side and given life by the only one who can do it, the God-man, for he has no sins of his own, which makes him alone the fitting substitute for those heavy laden with many sins. Number four. In verse 12, the Lord, giving the instructions of the application of the covenant sign, says, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Circumcision was to be administered on the eighth day. And so it was. This is one of the numbers that appears over and over and over and over again in the reading of your Bible. Very helpfully, though, if you chase down this number eight, 
you quickly discover in Leviticus 22, 27, that animals were not ready for sacrifice in the temple, in the tabernacle, until they were eight days old. On what day was Jesus Christ raised bodily, entering upon the new creation as the first man who ever carried human flesh into the everlasting age? What day was it? Beloved, it was the eighth day by Jewish count. The seventh day was Saturday. Sunday was the eighth day. And even John in chapter 20, verse 26, when he says that Jesus appeared to them the next Sunday after the first appearance on Resurrection Sunday, here's how John describes it, eight days later. So even the day that circumcision is supposed to be put on the flesh of all the men of Israel, even that day is selected because the Lord knows that he is going to build out around the eighth day another undersign, a lower sign, saying this is a sign to you of the future resurrection and the beginning of the new creation in my son Jesus Christ. Number five. Why is circumcision appointed as a sign in Genesis 17? Why not in Genesis 12, right after the Lord calls Abram out of Ur? Why not in Genesis 15, right after the Lord credits righteousness to Abram for his faith? Why here? Because, beloved, here is where the Lord immediately in the passage after this one promises not a son of the flesh, but a son of the spirit. Abram had tried to bring forth a son on his own, trying to do God's will, man's way. The Lord says, no, your son shall be Isaac. And so right after this opening passage, the Lord comes to Abram and Sarah, says, next time, this time next year, you're going to have a son. The Lord saves the arrival of the promised son until the male organ of Abram is pruned and made fruitful by bearing the sign of judicial death, the sign of a new creation through Christ. It's wonderful if you look up in Leviticus 19, verse 20 through 25. It says that you shall not eat of a plant. This is a, a legislation for Israel. In the, in the land of Canaan. You shall not eat of a fruit-bearing plant until it is circumcised. It is not fruitful to eat of. Abram has been made a fruitful tree to bear forth the son of promise. And the cause of his fruitfulness is the sign of the covenant because the sign of the covenant, circumcision, testifies that Abram is now properly set apart for the new creation because the sign of judicial death and life is upon his member. I could go on with a few more uh, signs of the new creation in Genesis 17, but I decided deliberately today to not wear you out. If I already have, may God help us all. We do need help. 
what is then the great lesson that I've been building to? I hope you remember it. I promised I would give it even if you didn't go with me all the way. Here it comes. The great lesson that we then are to take from all of this language of the new creation surrounding the appointment of circumcision is this. God's kingdom is a kingdom that brings life from death. That is the lesson. Circumcision is half a sign of death and half a sign of life. The womb of Sarai is dead. Abram is described by Paul in Romans 4 as hearing about the promised son Isaac coming within a year and saying, my body's as good as dead. Death, 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 death. Death is everywhere. And then the Lord steps forward and appears to Abram and says, oh, and here's a sign of death. Beloved, this is the way of the king. He brings life out of death. For all flesh must die if it is to enter into life. We all must undergo the full settlement of a judicial death for our sin if we will be born into an everlasting life. William Perkins, a 17th century theologian pastor, summed up all of this teaching in the scriptures with these words, a shorter version of what's in your bulletin insert. Whence comes the blessing of Abram? Answer, from the cursed death of Christ. In the creation, God made something not of something, but of nothing. He called light out of darkness, not light. He kills and then makes alive. He sends men to heaven by the gates of hell. In the work of our redemption, he gives life not by life, but by death and the blessing by the curse. This shows the wisdom and power of God, and it teaches us in the work of our conversion and salvation not to go by sense and feeling, because God can and does work one contrary in and by the other. Beloved, what you are learning from Genesis 17, 1 through 14, is that when you come upon a son or a daughter who by every reason is dead in sin, when you come upon a church, a city, a people, a nation, an island, a tribal people, when you come upon anything that is dead, you who know the king, who appoints a sign of death that is a doorway to everlasting life, you who know this king know that looking upon death should not crush you, discourage you, vacate your hope. Death is necessary. May we, the true children of Abraham, which are all who have his faith in God, 
not children of the flesh, but children of faith. May we, the true children of Abraham, may we take good courage. Death is all around us. Let us not believe the devil. And as Perkins says, let us not go by sense and feeling. Let us not try to tell ourselves they're not dead. They're not dead. They can't be dead. They need to be dead. They must be dead. There is no life unless they pass through death. Since we're talking about a text with parents and children, I'm pressing this point. Beloved, sometimes one of the best things you can do for an unbelieving friend, relative, even son or daughter, is help them confirm that they are not alive to God. As John Miller wisely said, you cannot become a Christian until you are persuaded you're not one. Now that, of course, isn't covering every case. Many covenant children become believing Christians before they can sing a few Sesame Street songs. But let us not go by sense and feeling and try to tell ourselves they're alive. If they are dead, let us pray for the dead. Because in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the dead can be made alive. And it's a testimony to us in all of God's dealings with Abram, in the barren womb, in the old body that's as good as dead, men do not bring themselves into life. I want to be encouraging to you on one more matter, and then I'll be finished. It's very easy to misread the opening verses of this chapter. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. It's very easy to misread those two verses in this way. Look, Abram has to have an obedience and a holiness in order to earn the promise of the new creation. Abram has to have obedience and holiness in order to be put outside the reach of death. That would be a misreading for two reasons. Remember, beloved, number one, Abram has already come to faith. He already has a faith union with his own greater son, the offspring that has been promised to him, who will be a blessing to all the nations. He is already righteous before God. The obedience being called for from him in chapter 17 isn't an earning obedience. And that brings me to the second point. The obedience being summoned at the top of this chapter is an anticipation of the next 12 verses as the Lord is making clearer, more advanced revelation to his servant about the new creation. He must summon Abram to walk in the strength of the new creation. The obedience of the Christian comes because they have been brought to life in the new creation. Obedience doesn't bring anyone into life. It flows out of the life that faith 
has put us in. I encourage you not to be discouraged when you read about the great obedience of patriarchs and fathers and brothers in the faith, in the scriptures. Their obedience has come upon their life. They have risen to it because they are already engrafted in the everlasting root who is always alive in strength, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the lessons from circumcision in the days of Abram. And we thank you, Lord God, that circumcision is no longer a religious mandate in the kingdom of God. For that which it signified has appeared. The cross circumcision of Christ is the true circumcision, the final circumcision, the final cutting off of our sinful nature in the one who substituted himself in our place and carried all of our corruptions to their judicial judgment in death. Lord, we thank you that with his resurrection, we have too passed into the new creation through your spirit, through a spirit-wrought union with your son, and we now can walk before you in blameless ways and walk before you in strong hope that even the dead in our own homes, in our own church, in our own city, even the dead can be called to life, for they can be too united to the one who has died. Oh, Father, we pray that you would fasten these things upon us, help each and all of us take responsibility for them. And if there are any here today who are dead yet, in their trespasses and sins. Testify to them, O Lord, we pray, that they are dead. Give them the grace, even now, to not push away the truth of the matter, that their deadness hangs before them like a sign every day, for they scorn the word of God. They cannot listen to it. They are not interested in it. They do not love the Savior. They do not rest upon his cross circumcision. They do not have any life toward it. Oh Lord, let them know it today. And at the same time, we ask, Lord, let them know that the dead can be raised today, that a circumcision made without hands can be given them today. They call out upon the Savior. They recognize that he is speaking to them now and telling them the truth now. Grant them a heart to call on him now, for today is the day of salvation. Oh Lord, convert the unconverted among us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.